I don't know how you have a testing program without documenting, here's what we're testing, here's the primary KPI, here's what we're measuring, here's how we know it's successful or not. And like, here's, you know, here's a design. Like Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. All right, and we're back in the studio again, and Jason, unfortunately, Jason couldn't meet us, but I said that on purpose to see if, you know, give everybody a second to guess on which Jason. (laughs) That'll make it a little bit easier, too, right, logistically today. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Jason Thompson uh, had something come up today and wasn't able to join us, um, but I wanted to make sure we wrapped up this this series with you. so over the last couple of weeks, you've been gracious in giving us your time to, to focus on optimization programs and A-B testing yeah. and, and A-B testing tools and whatnot. That's so fun. yeah, it's been great. And we'll, we'll make sure to, to have you back again. Um, so as I was saying, like want to kind of put a bow on, on this series today. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it today and, and keep this conversation going. Um, so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about things like what to do when launching an A-B testing program or mm-hmm. introducing a new tool, the things not to do. We, last week, we spoke about the importance of integrating analytics and the optimization program. Yeah, yeah. Um, today, I want to get really, really nuancy and talk about something that you talk a lot about internally when it comes to running an optimization program. Mm-hmm. And that is a test hypothesis. Yep. So, so the question I have for you today is how do you build a proper test hypothesis? Um, and why is it, why, why is it so important? Um, yeah. I know one of the things people talk about is, you know, the important or a measure of success for an optimization program is, is high testing velocity. Um, but, and I know our conversations too, I'm just kind of unloading a bunch here for us to unpack. Um, a lot of our conversations, one of the, the, the fallbacks of focusing on high velocity, other parts of the optimization program start to suffer and certainly, which is the, the test hypothesis, correct? Yeah, correct. And, and Jim, so, and, and like, we'll take, we'll take a step back and look bigger picture, but. The, yeah, we've talked about process. It's so important. And, and one of the things that I've seen happen to programs that chase velocity, and again, I don't have anything against running, you know, a high volume of tests as long as the process is in place. So what I have seen directly, like experience either working with clients or, or even working on the client side myself is, let, let's just call it a test brief, right? It's a test plan. So for every for every A-B test or optimization test or personalization test we run on the site, we want to have a test brief in place. It's a test plan. Uh, it could be a one-page document. It could be a couple-page PowerPoint slide. It doesn't matter. 
But in that test brief or test plan, you're going to have a hypothesis. And so um, if you're running a program and you're, in, and, and you're running it you know, too fast as compared to like the resources you have to keep it up and you lose parts of this process up front, like getting the test plan, a proper test brief in place, a proper test hypothesis, you're going to start to see poor results, not only in your ideation and on the site, but also when you go to Redoc results. It's things aren't going to make sense. You're not going to have results that are tied to what we initially thought we were testing and things like that. So we'll get into some of the details. Um, I'll try not to make it like a, a major stats class today. Um, you know, we won't get too, too wheezy as far as the technical details go, but um, certainly, and, and, and this is really good because we've been talking about, you know, optimization programs that are just starting up. This is great for an optimization program that's just starting up really understanding what's a hypothesis. Uh, why do we test a hypothesis? What does that mean? Um, so yeah, so this is great. This is an awesome topic to end with um, for sure. And so I, I just, you know, I'll, I'll take a step back, big picture, and just say, what's a hypothesis like outside of testing? And, you know, basically a hypothesis is just, it's an assumption made for the sake of an argument, right? Um, it's based on limited evidence. Um, and that, that's kind of what a hypothesis is. And the example I like to use with clients is because I think, you know, I don't think we all have dogs, but we're all pet owners and, you know, is like my dog can fetch more dog balls than your dog, right? That's my hypothesis. That's my argument. My assumption is that my dog can catch more dog balls than your dog. And so what do we have going on there? If we break that statement down, we're going to have like some variables like from a testing standpoint, if we geek out a little bit, the variables are, the first one's dog breed. So I have a Rottweiler, you have uh, a Labrador Retriever, right? So that's our first variable. And we're gonna say, okay, we wanna test these two breeds against each other and see which one fetches the most balls. And so the second variable is our fetch rate. Um, and on sites for, you know, getting it back to like digital web properties, our six, you know, that, that could be our conversion rate, could be a click-through rate, um, some sort of rate that we wanna measure. Um, so we're going to say, okay, it, it, my hypothesis is my dog, Finn, he's a Rottweiler. He can, he can fetch more balls than your dog, Fido. He's a, he's a golden retriever. And so, so that's, that's our hypothesis, right? And that's what we want to test. Um, so for every A-B test, you really want to make it that specific. You, you need to be very clear up front um, in what you're testing. Um, so, you know, I, I, I won't necessarily get into like, what a null hypothesis is as compared to the hypothesis. But if you're an optimization program starting up, I highly recommend that your optimization manager, your analyst, you know, dig back into stats, really understand like what's a null hypothesis. Um, because the null hypothesis is really what, what we're testing. And the null hypothesis just says uh, there's no difference between fetch rates between, between the dogs, right? That That's our null hypothesis. So, um, so yeah, just a great example, right, around a hypothesis, just in a real world example, yeah, you have some fun with it when you think it through a little bit, but you know, take that analogy and apply it to testing, um, it can be pretty powerful at front end just how you actually develop that hypothesis. So I know I, I, know I threw a lot out there um, real quick. No, 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 that's, it seems like that's how we're, we're starting this episode off. So the, the first thing I get into and you know, uh, I do this with, uh, Jason Thompson all the time is, is kind of throw the counter argument out there. So, 
um, you know, as, as you be going through just the concepts of, of a hypothesis and, um, you know, what, what goes into it and the idea behind it, the first thing I come to, and, and again, it, it, a lot of it has to deal with the, the sales of a lot of these various tools of, you know, like the WYSIWYG editor, and you can go in and just make little changes here and make little changes there and just see what happens. Um, you know, what would you say to someone that says, okay, that's great and all, yeah, we want to do that for more complex tests, but we also just want to go in and play around and try out, and like, why do we need a test hypothesis for just a simple change, a color change on a button that's uh, that's kind of like our out-of-the-box example or, you know, more of the basic changes. We'll, we'll use a, we'll, we'll implement a hypothesis as part of the process for more complex tests. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, if you're going to do it for, I, I think it needs to be consistent, right? Um, it's, first of all, it just gets your team in the practice of, of making consistent so it's never forgotten. But when you think about a hypothesis, there's a statistical component to it, Right. We, why do we have a hypothesis? We have a hypothesis because we have a limited sample size, right? So our hypothesis is based upon a lim limited sample size. So if I, if, if, if I personally want to make any changes to my website, I want to make sure those changes are backed by statistically significant data, right? So, um, so the whole scientific rigor behind testing a hypothesis is we want enough sample size. So... You know, we want enough traffic to the site. We want enough traffic to each product detail page so that we can eventually at some point, you know, get to a point where we can say, we have enough sample size here to say at a 95% confidence level, if we change the button color to green, we're going to see an increase in add to cart clicks, right? So it's, it all ties back to that hypothesis. Um, if, if it's not there, what we do see some testing programs do is say, Oh crap! Like you know, the color, but the the button color change didn't do anything. Oh, but this other metric over here, it drove it drove like a lot of uh, it drove a lot of conversion increases, right? So you get really um, you lose focus in in what the test is even supposed to do. So even even for a simple test, whether it's a button color change, it could be a headline change for an article. Maybe you're testing two or three headline changes for an article. Um, but you really have to have a hypothesis nailed down so that when you look at the stats on the back end, it makes a lot of sense. And then also, you know, you're, you're always taking your results to your senior leadership team. That's a team that's providing funding. That's the team that's providing advocacy for the program and you need them on board. And if you consistently bring them, you know, here's a hypothesis, boom. I mean, your result could literally, your result readout could literally be a couple minutes for each test, right? Here's a hypothesis. We said that changing the button color from orange to green on a product detail has, is going to drive an increase in conversions. And this was the result. Boom, boom. It's all tied together, right? So it, it makes sense. It's consistent the way you approach it. It's, it's scientific and the way you read out. You know, it's just a consistent process and, and there's really no questions about it. And honestly, you know, your senior leadership team doesn't want to get into the details or the weeds behind the stats, but they do want to know that there's some rigor behind the program, right? So, you know, if you come out of the gate as a new pro optimization program manager, Jim, I hand you this, you know, we're at, we're at like a sporting retail company or something, I hand you the optimization program and you come back to me a month later and say, okay, here's our first five tests and this is the hypothesis and this is how we're going to measure it. That's awesome, right? If you came to me and said, okay, you know, I got these five test ideas and let's just see what happens. 
uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to take your work to my CEO or the board of directors or the senior leadership team, because I don't know if I would have the confidence, you know, in, in that process. I like how you talked about bringing rigor there and using that to in, uh, instill confidence in, in the management team, because I mean, I may have the wrong impression, but at least my impression um, is that there is a general consensus out there that testing testing tools enable us to, to do things on the fly, test on the sure. fly, yeah. which can give the impression of just kind of winging it. A- am yeah. I wrong? No, no, you're, you're spot on. And, and so the danger there is, yeah, testing on the fly could be really fun. Um, but if you, if there's no rigor behind it, how do you know you're not dry, you know, how do you know you're not negatively in, in impacting a down funnel metric, right? So you're doing all these fun tests on the fly, right? Maybe in a silo even, and you have your, your, your data team over here making monthly readouts based upon key metrics on the site. And all of a sudden, you know, oh, how do we explain this drop in visits or this drop in, and add to cart clicks or product views or subscriptions, you know, how do we explain it? And, oh, yeah, you know, we got, we got Jason over there. He's been, he's been just kind of running tests for fun over the past month or two, right? So there's no rigor there, um, you know, versus I could say, oh, hey, we had a drop in conversion rate and this, and this is why it was. Or we had a spike in conversion rate, better yet, right? Look on the positive. We had a spike in conversion rate and, and it was from these two tests over here that we were running on the site. So, yeah, I mean, the rigor has to be there. Hypothesis, I mean, it is all about stats. Um, I've been in a couple meetings where well, I, I was in a, a job interview many years ago, and one of the questions I asked is, what's a type one error, right? <laughs> um, and that's all around statistics and your hypothesis and measurement. And you, you know, as an optimization manager or a director or, or you know, program director, you may go in there and one of your, your senior leaders may say, you know, I was talking about our testing program to someone the other day and, and they asked me about a type one error and I don't even know what that means, but do we take in, do we take that into account, right? And for everyone out there, a type one error is basically saying, let's say we have two variants. We've got our control um, product detail page and we're running a, a, a test on like version B. Uh, a type one error would say, oh, like version B had an impact when it really didn't. So that's scary, right? Like version B had an impact, we're going to, we're going to push the green button color, but it really didn't have an impact because we didn't have a big enough sample size, right? Which all ties back to the hypothesis. You know, the hypothesis says it's based on a limited sample size. So um, again, like for, especially for programs just starting up, you know, have your optimization manager, have the analyst dig into, you know, you can easily find basic stat sites out there that go through hypothesis testing specifically. And even, you know, even around AB testing, um, and I have seen some more advanced programs where they have a whole, you know, they have a data, data science team that, you know, they're, they're looking even beyond what we're talking about today. They're going, they're looking at like covariance and things like that. Um, so that rigor in, you know, that rigor and understanding those basic stats definitions, that's important because you're trying to instill confidence in your, whether it's your manager or their manager, and you're trying to instill confidence in the program, right? And if, and if you're, and if like most people I work with enjoy optimization, I think we talked about it, I don't know, maybe last week or something, but it's fun. It's like optimization groups are usually fun. So if you're having a lot of fun at work and you want to, and you want to keep your program running, you, the 
the people that you're giving your output to, which are your test results um, and your test learnings, they have to have faith and confidence and trust that what you're doing is is sound, right? And, and if if the rigor's not behind there, it, you're, you know it's it's going to be a it's going to be a, a not a good win situation for sure. Yeah, uh, and I, I do. I I did think about a couple of the instances where we talked about like the gamification of yeah, this yeah. and and making this fun. What would you say to someone who would say adding this kind of process slows things down um, or adds undue burden, which removes the exciting possibilities of testing? Yeah, I mean, I would first say like adding a hypothesis is not going to slow things down, right? So, you know, a hypothesis really should, if, if you if you know what you're testing and you know what your result was, it, results should be, you know, it takes maybe 10, 20 minutes of strategic thinking to really think through the hypothesis. And maybe you want to share that out and get some feedback to make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, and the better you get at it, the, the quicker it's going to go. So that's like, a, that's a small part of it. Um, but, you know, the gamification kind of comes in more it's, it's almost like more on the front and the back end of the process right gamification could be you know on the front end for test ideas that come in have everyone vote on the test idea right and then and then collect those votes every month and then keep score and and say oh yeah this month or year to date you know we're six months in and 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 jim's got like a 50 percent win ratio for the test he thinks are gonna win right and then on the back end for results you know i worked with uh, a, a large retailer and this was really fun. Like every month we had a, an executive readout to the, the vice president of e-commerce and each of the, the directors had a revenue, you know, a revenue associated each month with their A-B testing from the ideas that came through their team. Right. So it's kind of fun. It's like, oh, like I got five million dollars in revenue from test launch this year. And then and then your peers like, oh, my God, I only got two point seven. I got to like figure this out. Right. So you're going to go back into your team and say, hey, let's, you know, we, we can't let the product merchandise team beat us from like test ideation and results. Let's go clobber them. So that's kind of like some of the gamification you can get into. The more engaged you can keep people in the process, um, you know, the more skin they have in the game. Sometimes skin is just, we're all competitive for the most part. Like we all have competitive natures and we want to have some fun at work um, and we want to win, maybe throw in like a little prize for someone who, you know, who picks the most test winners or comes up with the best test hypothesis. There's lots you can do around gamification to make it fun. But I certainly wouldn't say like, you know, including a hypothesis or getting that statistical rigor behind the program would slow you down. If anything, it should speed you up down the road because you, you, you know, you have everything sinking and you won't get those questions. You won't have to go back and re-engineer how you're doing your test plans. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting perspective, um, especially on the, you know, it could help you actually move faster um, rather than slow you down. Yeah, and, uh, and, Jim, and Jim, I mean, it's a really good point you bring up. I, you know, I worked with a client a couple of years ago and they, you know, I was, I, I lived and worked through the experience of them increasing their test velocity from X number of tests a week to, you know, Y number of tests a week. And it was a pretty big jump. Uh, but I also saw some things fall um, out of the process, the test brief specifically, like, you know, I, I just, I don't know how you have a testing program without documenting, here's what we're testing. Here's the primary KPI. Here's what we're measuring. Here's how we know it's successful or not. 
and like here's you know here's a design like you, you you need that so i mean it's a really good point you bring up yeah um so let's dig into the details a bit um what you know when, when you're building out a test hypothesis and this is part of your test de- ideation creation deployment process what are the key components of it or what are the key steps that you take when when building it out Sure. Um, the first thing you want to know is what are your variables? Like, what are you testing? So what are you going to test and what are you testing that against? So what are you going to measure it against? So in the example of, of the dogs earlier, right, it's, it's my variables are dog breed, right? And I'm testing it against vet rate. So I would recommend for any optimization program out there, whether you're just starting out or even if you've been, a, you know, you've been doing this for years is, um, really understand for the page that you're testing on let's say i'm testing on my search results page you want to know what the purpose of that page is right i'm not necessarily sure and i may get some argument or or pushback here from people i'm not necessarily sure the direct purpose of a search results page is to increase revenue um so especially from an a b testing point testing point. I think it's too far down funnel from, from revenue, right? So if I'm testing on the search results page, I want to know, did I get someone to click further into the funnel, right? So I got search results and, you know, instead of showing three, we want to show 10, right? So our variable is number of search results shown on each page. The result is click-throughs to a product page. So that's our conversion rate. So the hypothesis simply is, uh, we believe, you know, a lot of hypotheses you'll hear, they call we believes. We believe uh, showing 10 search results versus three search results will drive an increase in product views, product page views. Simple as that. So break down your variables, what you're going to change in your test, and, um, and know what specifically you're measuring against. And each page on your site, your homepage, your success measure may be promotional product ads, right? Because we're doing a lot of promotions on our homepage. Um, your checkout success measure is going to be orders, order rate. Um, you know, they get to check out how many actually convert and, and purchase. So really have your team think through, you know, for each page type, what are what are we really measuring here? What's important? Um, and you may get some good conversations with with the products uh, product owners in the business around around those page type purposes, right? But those are good discussions to have. Um, if anything, it gets people more engaged in your process, which is really what you want. Um, when you're, you're thinking these through, like, do you have a, like a metric or measure that like, how do I want to phrase this is like, is kind of like the one above all else, like, or, or are there like a selection of things that you go to? Um, or is it all dependent upon what the test is? Yeah, I think I think it's all dependent upon what the test is, really. Um, I think you're going to do your program a lot of harm if every test is measured against conversion rate. Um, and when I when I say conversion rate, I'm specifically meaning order rate. So you know, all the way down funnel. Now that being said, I think for every test you run. Um, we also in the test brief, which is why this the rigor of the process is so important in the test brief you're going to list secondary metrics and tertiary metrics, right? So, so these are metrics that we're interested in, but we're not actually going to put in the hypothesis, right? Because 
because we don't really think changing 10 search results from three to 10 is going to necessarily drive a significant increase in revenue. We do think it's going to drive a significant increase in product views. Um, so, you know, ha have, you know, eat, yeah, I definitely say it's each, each page type that you're testing against. Um, think it from that standpoint, um, because you just can't tie everything that can to order rate and revenue. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of you, you, I think you won't see as many test winners, right? Um, and because not everything's going to push, push the dial in revenue. But what that will lead to is what we call an iterative testing process, which is really best in class, right? So you run a test on the search results page. We found out, oh, showing 10 is better than three. Now we get on the product page. Well, why aren't we seeing those products being purchased at a higher rate? Now you look at the product page and then you just kind of walk down your funnel. Hopefully that was helpful. Yeah, definitely makes sense. And that was kind of the, the what I was getting at with that was is like, you know, the people that always focus on like that, that one thing. So, but when you, going back to what you mentioned a couple minutes ago about the, like the, we believe, you know, we, we mm -hmm. believe this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Do you also typically put in the inverse of what should not happen or what would make the test, well, lack of a better term, a failure? Yeah. Well, we believe this is going to happen. We do not expect or do not want this to happen. Do you have like that inverse? Yeah, I, it's not necessarily a, the, an inverse hypothesis because that would be your null hypothesis, but it's more a, we call it a do no harm. So if I'm testing on the search results page and I and I drove a 15% increase in product detail page views and I did not harm revenue or order rate, then that's perfect. So yeah, in a test brief, it's always good to put, you know, we don't want to do any harm to these metrics, right? Um, and I mean, I've seen some tests run where the, you know, the company, they just liked how the new design looked. They all liked it, it looked better. So they want, they still want to test it to make sure they're not going to lose revenue or anything. So that, that's what we call just a do no harm test. Put the sleek design versus the old design. Uh, we don't see a lot of like upticks in our major metrics, but it's not hurting. It's, it's not doing any damage to our order rate or our revenue rate. Uh, or add to cart rate. So yeah, that that's a really good point about like ensuring that you're not you're not doing damage to downstream metrics, especially you know when you go into these senior leadership meetings, these executive meetings, they're you know they're, it's it's a revenue you know most of them if you're you know it's a revenue driven right or subscription driven or whatever that bottom line is that the company's really driving towards. So you know you need to be able to handle those discussions as well. Yeah, and I like how you do keep bringing it back to to senior leadership in the organization, um, and making it something that they they buy into. And as I've been hearing you talk, it definitely sounds like this is one of those key things that you know you, you flat out said at the beginning. This is the group that funds this you know this team, this total, yeah. all of that, getting them to buy in, and you know showing them that there's rigor and there's planning, and it's not just a playground for yeah. for people to go to go play with. Yeah, um, and, Jim, and Jim, as you were going through that, I mean, the rigor is going to lead to more results too, to better results. So, you know, if you have that rigor in place, you know, it, it really will lead to better test ideas down the road, better test hypothesis, better results. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So even from like a bottom line results, it'll, it'll, you'll get there. You'll definitely get there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
one, I, I have one final question and then we sure. can just kind of start to, to wrap things up. We're going to wrap things up a little quicker this week. Um, we could wrap up with like any kind of final thoughts or anything you thought we missed, but before we get there, like what, what do you see happen or what have you seen happen when this part of the process is, is neglected? Like specifically around the test hypothesis? Yeah. Like this component of the, of the test planning or even just test planning in general, like when, when people start to neglect it or maybe they start to put this in place, but then they kind of fall into the trap of, Oh, this is one little test. I could just do this without this kind of step, which kind of leads to a crack in the process. Yeah. When when organizations start to neglect it, what, what have you seen happen? I mean, I've seen transparency kind of go down between these, these results readouts and, and what really they were trying to do. Um, because they're, you're, you're going to get asked the question, well, you know, what was our original plan here, right? Like, you know, I know we, I know we wanted to drive um, add to cards, but we're seeing this, this change. Like, what, what, are we, what do we really measure against? You're going to get those questions. And if you don't have an answer, um, it's, it's not going to be a good thing. And, um, you know, I think the other thing, the other big part is you're going to see some, uh, I'll just say decreased engagement from your organization and what i mean by that is if if i'm if i'm running the program and i develop a test brief and jim you're the product owner and you know you're you're responsible for you know a certain part of the site i am going to come to you and say jim here here's what i'm thinking um you know i took your idea i put this this plan together give me your feedback right that keeps you engaged in the process that lets you know that the time you spent coming up with a test hypothesis or ideating is valuable. And, and I'm, and I'm showing you that. Right. And then, you know, does this look right to you, Jim, what do you want to change in this test brief? Right. And then you just keep a documentation of that test brief, you know, just put it in in a wiki site somewhere at Confluence. So somewhere where the organization has shared repository and then, you know, three years down the road, and we had an internal discussion at 33 sticks about this, um, you know, three years down the road, we're going to say, oh, wait, didn't we run the button color test? Uh, yeah, that was like, that was two years ago, three years ago. Boom. Oh, yeah. I just go on the Confluence. Here's a test brief. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's all there, right? Everything's there. You got you got consistency, um, you know, and, and you can look back and say, oh, this, this was a sound test and this is how we're going to do it this way. So there's kind of multiple, you know, multiple upsides to making sure it's in place. Yeah. And I love the the transparency aspect that you bring up. That was something I, I hadn't thought about where it does. It, it makes it very open for others to see, to see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And not just like your, your executive team, they, they don't necessarily want to know all the details, but they also don't, don't want to think of your program as a black box, right? Cause you have a tool, a very powerful tool that can change the site very easily. Yes. But really immediately like, think of the development team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, but really where like a lot of testing programs take off is at the test ideation phase. Right. And, and, and getting people to buy in, you know, and, and, and sharing, sharing the process along the way at certain points, you know, sharing the test brief with the person who submitted the test idea. Yeah. All just transparency is key for sure. All right. Um, well, this has been a great series of episodes, uh, very interesting topic today. Like I think it's yeah. again, process, you know, has been your main theme throughout it. And I, I've always felt like testing tools 
can be seen as a way of getting around processor again, like we talked about at the beginning of this one, uh, you know, just kind of operating on the fly. Um, so again, appreciate your time the, the last couple of weeks in, in joining us. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, as we wrap up, like any final thoughts on this topic or anything we've, we've discussed, anything else you'd like to share? I just, you know, if, if you're running an optimization program out there, um, you know, just keep, keep, uh, keep up to date with, with changes in the marketplace. Cause this, this, this space changes pretty quickly. Um, you know, the way pages are developed and sites are developed these days and the processes around there, you, you really need to be, um, you really need to be up to speed on, on the latest like tools and processes. And, and that's how you're going to make sure your optimization program continues to stay relevant. So mm-hmm. I, I'm always trying to learn and trying to get better at things, you know, whether it's the piano or playing fetch with the piano out back. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, just, you know, keep learning, keep learning. Great. Great. Uh, great perspective. Um, so Jason, again, thank you much. It's been great. So let's let's call it there and uh, we'll talk to everybody later. Awesome. So much fun, Jim. Thanks for yep. having me on these past bunch of weeks. It's been a blast. You got it. You got All it. Right. All right. Catch you later. All right. Bye. Good. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.